0: to the NBA Fan
1: Podcast. Uh, Trent, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Excited to uh, look into, kind of take a deep dive into another team today. That's right. Uh, Last
0: episode, we talked about the Oklahoma City Thunder, and so we thought it would be fitting to follow this up and do the prequel episode, Mm -hmm. as I like to call it. The prequel. The OG. That's right. With the Seattle Supersonics. So, let's just jump right in. Supersonic man out of you. Don't stop me now. Trent, when you think of the Seattle Supersonics, mm-hmm. and later we'll get to players and teams, but right. as an organization, what comes to mind?
1: Well, uh, well, Gary Payton comes to mind, but I know we're going to get into players later, but that's kind of what I think of growing up. Um, The Sonics were a really good team in the 90s and are kind of a good program, if you will. But Seattle and really just the state of Washington is an amazing basketball area. They've got great high school basketball, um, decent college basketball, but a lot of good players have come out of the Pacific Northwest. It's an area that loves, absolutely adores basketball. And it's it's crazy to me that they don't have a team there anymore. So it's, it's really sad to me. Um, so just for people that don't know, you know, we, Chris was referencing the Thunder as well. The Oklahoma City Thunder franchise was moved in 2008 from Seattle. So it was in Seattle for like 40 years. They were the Seattle Supersonics. Then that organization got moved to Oklahoma C- City and was rebranded as the Thunder. So the Thunder were not an expansion team in 2008. They're actually the Sonics. But the reason we split it up is because the Sonics have such a great history that we felt like we needed to do an entire episode on them. So, uh, yeah, so when I think of Seattle, I think mainly of those Gary Payton, Sean Kemp teams in the 90s, which we'll talk about. Um, But they have a very rich history, even Long before that, so they do, and I would
0: I would take your you know statement that they were moved a little bit further, and in, in my research, right, uh, some would say they were stolen out of yeah. Seattle, and uh, there's actually a Seattle Supersonics Historical Preservation Society, yeah, and essentially they came together and put together this documentary called "Sonics Gate Requiem for a Team." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm going to mm-hmm. and, and would recommend it won a whole bunch of awards actually. So uh, really interesting how this rich um, NBA fan culture in Seattle yeah. somehow developed into, you know and through powers outside of the fans' control, yeah, the team moves. Yeah. And you know the team had been there four decades. Um, since the NBA ABA merger, mm. and was good. I mean, it wasn't like they're this team that yeah. wasn't
1: good. I for can't a really long think of a time when they were ever not good. I mean, they they definitely weren't elite every single year, but I feel like you may know this more. You may have it in front of you, but I don't think there were that many times when they missed the playoffs. Like, I mean, they other than maybe a stretch like after kind of kind of as they were you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, as they were kind of transitioning from the Gary Payton, Sean Kemp period to kind of Ray Allen, Richard Lewis, you know, maybe then. But, you know, I think most of the 80s, they were they were decent. Um, obviously, the 70s, especially the late 70s, they were really good. Uh, and then in the 90s, they were really good, too. So, yeah, they had a couple of bad years right there at the end. But, I mean, how you can't
0: as a fan are you really gonna call Ray Allen Richard Lewis bad years? Yeah. I mean, you're watching Ray yeah. Allen literally at the peak or maybe not at the peak of his career. No, but that at was the his prime of his that career. That was his
1: prime. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: And so I, I'm I'm thinking of, you know, for example, I grew up in Orlando and that is not necessarily a city that just loves their basketball team.
1: Oh, definitely not. Yeah.
0: And so and and they weren't really good for long stretches of time they pretty much had and we haven't gotten to them yet but Mm. i'm getting the feeling that that is the not what the seattle culture was they loved their basketball
1: and aside from the fact that i mean and you see it with like the seahawks and other things that are in i mean even the mariners like they have great fan bases and not to mention just the city itself the culture of seattle and The number of businesses that are there as well, like it's only going to be a matter of time before Seattle has a franchise again. Whether that is a current franchise that's maybe not doing that well, like the Sacramento Kings, or different like, or whether they expand and add somebody there. I mean, it's just it's only a matter of time because Seattle is. Yeah, I I um
0: recently saw that the there's some Twitter channel that belongs to Seattle sports or something like that and uh, it looks like they're getting an NHL team before they're getting an NBA team but what they've decided is that the NHL team will not have the green and gold colors because that is being preserved for when an NBA team returns to Seattle so they are actively um, wanting to bring an NBA team there and in fact I I also heard that um, it's either rumors or maybe likely that there's gonna be a preseason game between the Kings and the Warriors played in Seattle. Oh nice. Which would be the yeah. first NBA game since that two thousand eight season, I believe. That's yeah, that's that's insane. So. so great. Well let's then um uh let's go ahead and just jump right into some of the best players. Mm-hmm. Um because they have a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh like you said I don't really know if there was a time when there wasn't a good team. And I don't think there was a time when there weren't great players. Yeah. So how do you think about, you know, maybe the eras or, you know, the the players? Uh, I Our lists are, are slightly, well, we haven't talked about our lists
1: yet. Yeah. So you've got a top three. i Oh, players, I've got a top five plus like five honorable mentions. So okay, so I I've a got lot. a top seven. Mm-hmm. With five honorable mentions, so <laughs> yeah, let's both let's start players. at the top. Yeah, for for me, Sonics it, it begins and ends with Gary Payton. Gary Payton's the face of that franchise for me. Even though he, they did, they do have one NBA championship, and he was not a part of that team. To me, like he, you know, he played there not his entire career. He did end up getting a ring with the Heat in two thousand six, but. Uh, you know of the 90s and early 2000s I mean he was just the absolute face of of that team and his style of play just and his just his leadership of that team so he's also the all-time leader in like points assists steals uh so for me that was a pretty easy that was the easiest call I would say I agree and it's not just his time there Mm.
0: and you know we're kind of judging this based on which players uh brought the most value or meant the most to the team as right. a whole. Right. And in addition to his time there as a player, you see in retrospect when people are trying to understand that team, mm-hmm. he's being interviewed. Yeah. You know, I saw tons of interviews on you know TNT and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing where he's talking about those years. And um, in the documentary, I saw a little bit of it. You know, He was there. When when crowds of Seattle Supersonic fans were there to save the team, who did mm-hmm. they? Which, which player did they get to, oh, to help rally them? Yeah,
1: Gary Gary yeah. Payton. Yeah. So
0: I agree. I think he is right now. When you look back, he's the face of that franchise without question. Yeah. So um, I'll let you go on, and, and maybe I'll, I'll let you list the next three or four, yeah. and then I'll I'll kind of respond uh, with mine. That way, you can kind of explain why so, as you make your way down. So
1: my top three were pretty easy I felt uh, and that doesn't mean they're gonna be the same as yours but um, my number two is Sean Kemp and even though they're you know it wasn't the easiest decision but the thing that's interesting to me about Sean Kemp um, and part of my research was watching a lot of highlight videos and looking into stats and stuff and there have been very few players like Sean Kemp in the NBA and I think because he had such a drastic and quick downfall if you will around 30 or 31 years old and I I I don't know I don't have all the information about this I I think there was some alcoholism and I know he gained a ton of weight and basically just completely dropped off the face of the map around the time he was like 31 which is pretty young for an NBA player um I mean that's barely outside of your prime but I I kind of just went back and looked at his years in Seattle um, from the time he was 20 till he was like 27 or 28. And, I mean, just maybe the most explosive big man that's ever played. I mean, you're talking about essentially a LeBron James-level athlete. doesn't have that level of skill, but he could shoot the ball too a little bit. Uh, he could handle the ball a little bit as yeah, well. Yeah, he had a high three-point um, percentage. But, yeah, I years. mean, his just his dunking uh, on people just in his – The just the level of athleticism, I think I was actually watching, I watched a little bit of the 96 finals as well when they played the Bulls. And uh, the thing that really stood out to me was not just, I mean, obviously his dunking ability and all of that, but honestly, there was a couple of times where like you know, Seattle got a stop, got a rebound, or whatever. And if he wasn't the one getting the rebound, I just saw him sprinting down the floor. And I'm like, this man is like 6'10", 250 pounds, and he's the fastest player on the floor. I mean, just his level of just raw athleticism is just unbelievable. And so just for his time in Seattle and what he – as much as we talk about Gary Payton as the face of that team, it was the two of them in tandem. And Yeah, I saw some highlights that were best duos mm-hmm. in NBA history. And One they, of the they best. Go yeah. hand in hand. Yeah, because Gary, like, Gary didn't really shoot the ball. You know he was a really good passer he's known for his defense, but he was kind of an underrated passer as well but I mean it was it was the original Lob City honestly a lot of people like to make comparisons of Blake Griffin to Sean Kemp and I think I don't think Blake is as good as Sean Kemp um, but that's not a bad comparison and then you can kind of have Gary Payton and Chris Paul kind of I think Chris Paul is probably better than Gary Payton, but you know you're kind of seeing that that combination and um it it's it's a not a bad comparison to make.
0: Yeah, I um I like your you know calling it lob city because in the highlights I saw Gary Payton is not just throwing it up yeah. like some guard who can accurately put a ball. Yeah. He was
1: like stylistically. Oh yeah, uh, like putting on a show. That's the other thing about Gary Payton, and I know we're we're kind of moving on past him, but I think part of the reason why he was the face of that franchise is because he was such a unique person, too. Very, like, a trash talker, outspoken. I mean, I've listened to some podcasts and some interviews with guys that used to coach. You know, George Carl was their coach in the 90s, but some of the guys that were assistants and stuff, and they said Gary was almost impossible to deal with. Like, he would just come into practice and just be like, I'm not going to practice today. And there's, you couldn't make him do anything that he didn't want to do. But the deal was they knew that when game time, happen, you know, he was going to be he's going to be ready. But even then, like, I've seen some highlights and even some of the highlights that I was watching to prepare some of the commentators like he would do stuff and they would just be like, oh, that's got to drive George Carl crazy. You know, because he would like, he can't just throw a pass. He would like put it through his leg or something, you know, and they're just like you know, you can just kind of see the coaching staff, like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, he has a highlight where he literally is on a fast break, and instead of passing it
0: up, he, he like, goes underneath his legs. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason. Totally rea- unnecessarily. But
1: it's so entertaining to watch as well. So he and Sean Kemp together just made such a great pair. And then my my number three is uh, Fred Brown, downtown Freddie Brown, uh, was the best player for the Sonics on their uh, 1979 championship team, and uh, known as Downtown Freddie Brown because of his shooting ability. This was before there was a three-point line, so he was just taking deep shots just because he could really shoot the ball. And um, was he the one? He was on
0: the team when they introduced the three-point. Correct. Three and yeah. we, didn't he
1: win the three-point? I believe so. Title yeah. that yeah, you yeah. Know, or whatever that so year. So he. I mean, he's an excellent, excellent shooter. Averaged about 20 points a game. I think he spent his entire career in Seattle as well. Yeah. So he was a guy that was the face of the franchise before Gary Payton showed up. So kind of 70s and 80s. So, um, And then if you want to talk about some, I mean, I can keep going or you can
0: talk Well, you I'll be honest. As I'm looking at this, I, I was very unfamiliar with this team before doing any yeah. research. And so trying to understand especially that 79 team mm-hmm. and who made the most impact was challenging because yeah. they had such a talented team yeah and it was really tough to see who was making the most impact mm-hmm. um, they had a lot of different players score well and mm-hmm. and and so I had Dennis Johnson up there in my top three yeah but the question for me was—he didn't even make my list. What yeah. you know, because he was the he was the Finals MVP. It's true. He didn't yeah. he didn't necessarily score the highest points on that mm-hmm. team. I think that um, uh, it was Gus Williams actually mm-hmm. was like the lead scorer on that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was up there with rebounds and
1: assists, mm-hmm. and you know he had to have won the Finals yeah. MVP for a reason. I mean, I, I'm. I'm very familiar with Dennis Johnson because I was a huge Celtics fan. So right. he, he didn't spend that much time in Seattle, which right. is why I didn't put him four, on my yeah, list. He four years, I think. And yeah. he, most of what he's known for is his, his tenure experience. with the Celtics. <laughs> Um, so and I also think kind of like what you said he was a really good player but he what I think his finals MVP was almost kind of like when Andre Iguodala won it a couple years ago I compared it to that
0: or I wondered if it's like Iguodala yeah. you know because he was a, a six man
1: you know yeah or yeah on that team wasn't he for yeah. start so imagine people like and this is not this is not a criticism at all because I love Dennis Johnson but like it's like, imagine 40 years from now, people doing a podcast about the Warriors in 2015 and right. being like, well, obviously Andre Iguodala was the best player on that team because yeah. he won finals MVP. So. And he used to be a, a league MVP, and, I think, right? Wasn't right, he? No, he didn't win league MVP, but he was a good player. Or are you talking about Dennis Johnson or Iguodala? No, Iguodala. Didn't no. Iguodala? No. no, okay. But he was, a, he was more, he was kind of a go-to guy for the Sixers yeah. at times, but yeah. Got it. So, okay,
0: so I, I'm, like I said, I'm, that's why we're doing this. And yeah. I'm I'm approaching this as someone that's learning. So for you Sonics fans out there, I'm sorry. Um, I'm fine with, with shoving him down the list. Man, but I hope, hope we we're... have people in Seattle listening to this podcast. That'd be awesome. So okay, so if I would if i if I put Dennis down and we've got Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, then mm-hmm. before Fred Brown, I would argue that Jack Sikma.
1: Yeah, Sigma's number four on my list. Okay, so, so you you kinda
0: you there. have yeah. him up there. Yeah. My argument for him is one statistically had a lot of win shares, yeah, credited to his name. He had like seven All
1: Star appearances, seven All
0: Stars. Yeah, he was on the team nine years. He was also a part of that win- winning, you know, team. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's who was the best player on that
1: that those years? Yeah, and. In, and it could very well be Fred Brown, I mean Fred Brown and Jack Sigma were basically Gary Payton and Sean Kemp in the seventies, okay. not as much Lob City, probably no. but uh, <laughs> but they were they were that guard short, short big city. Man. yeah, yeah, that guard big man combo, dude, I watched some highlights of of Fred Brown from the eighties, and I think in the eighties he was getting closer to the end of his career, so he was like, you know i don 't know he's probably in his thirties or something, but he was like like a lot of those guys in the 80s i'm just he's he was kind of heavy set like he looked a little overweight he had like a necklace on you know mm-hmm. but he's just out there balling man like just hitting jump shots from like they were even making jokes about how like and this is a joke people still make to this day but like you enter the gym and you can he can make make it from wherever he is you know and but yeah he's just out there like so chill uh just whatever 80s basketball is just It's ridiculous. It
0: is. And it reminds, I I think also for anybody out there that, um, is familiar with eighties basketball. And if you're not go watch it, I think it's clear that eighties basketball was not cool. Uh, not like it is today. Yeah. Uh, and, and just you gotta look at those short shorts man I mean yeah. that's like a, a I mean, Halloween I think there were, costume I
1: think there were elements that were cool well, the NBA in the 70s for sure was not cool yeah I mean, and nobody maybe watched maybe it maybe
0: it was the late 70s early 80s yeah. that I'm actually you're right Yeah, what I'm referencing
1: because Bird and Magic definitely were bringing the NBA around in the 80s and, uh, yeah. and Dr. J you know so there were elements that were cool uh, it's still the league definitely didn't have it had like Five teams that people wanted to watch. There, de- there definitely wasn't the league-wide appeal um, until probably Jordan kind of took it international. But yeah, no, you're right. Like it was, it was definitely not. It, it almost a lot of times you watch these games and it looks like a like a rec league. That your dad plays in, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, but clearly it's not. It's
0: just you. Maybe it's maybe you got these. You know, maybe Fred Brown is cool, yeah. and maybe you know, obviously. I mean, his nickname is Downtown Freddy Brown. Downtown Freddy so Brown guy. Like you know who's not cool? Jack Sigma. Jack Sigma is cool. definitely not cool. Deadlift yeah. Shrimp. Deadlift Shrimp though, not cool. like <laughs> such a good shooter though, <laughs> and what a name. Yeah, I mean, Deadlift Shrimp sounds like the name of, of some comic. Like bozo, like,
1: like a superhero man, yeah, or a supervillain.
0: Okay, so you've got your you got the first two pairs, Gary Payton, yeah. Sean Kemp, and then Downtown Freddie Brown
1: and Jack Sigma as your three right. four, yeah. right? Yeah. So then, where do you go from there? So this one, I went uh, maybe a little bit out of left field, but again, this was based on um, what. You know, this guy only played for about the same amount of time that like Sean Kemp—not at the same time, but about that same amount of time, like from early in his career till he was like 26 or 27 uh, in the 70s as well. Spencer Haywood, um, but he put up monster numbers for the Sonics when he played there, and I felt like he—he he just was for the amount of time he was there. Basically, I have four honorable mentions that we'll get into in a second, and he was either. For the honorable mentions that I have that played longer with the Sonics, he put up bigger stats, and he was a more important player. And then for the ones that maybe put up better stats, they weren't with the Sonics as long. So I just felt like when I narrowed it down, Spencer Hayward was the guy that needed to be there at number five. So
0: yeah, that's fair. The only the name that i I had in my list, I had two other guys that I'm, I hope are in your honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were higher for me than Spencer Haywood. Maybe because Haywood didn't play as long there, but right. Spencer Haywood did
1: start his career, his NBA career yeah. there. He's also the first player, if I remember correctly, that left the ABA for the NBA at that time, right around the, near the time that they had split. He might have. one of he the, got drafted by the ABA. One of the
0: things I think with, was his deal was he um, only played in the ABA two years, and then when he came over mm-hmm. to the NBA, it was his third year, and there was a lawsuit. Mm. Um, that he from the NBA saying that he had to actually play four years so the rule at that point was you couldn't play in the NBA until you were four years out of high school which typically was college and I think he was the first player to actually break that yeah and it went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court wow um, they ruled in his favor and uh, the the ruling is actually hilarious um If Haywood is unable to continue to play professional basketball for Seattle, he will suffer irreparable injury in that a substantial part of his playing career will have been dissipated. His physical condition, skills, and coordination will deteriorate from lack of high-level competition. His public acceptance as a superstar will diminish to the detriment of his career. Wow. His self-esteem and his pride will have been injured, and a great injustice will be perpetrated on him. I mean... There you go. Straight from the, the United States District Court for
1: Central District of California. So maybe yeah. not Supreme Court, but so pretty incredible. His, I think may have been his first year, or maybe his second year with Seattle, he set Sonic's records with 29.2 points per game and 13.4 rebounds a game. So it was a short-lived stint, but it was he was very successful with them. So that was why he made my number five.
0: Great. Then I'll, I'll just add one more to my top of, of list, and that's mm-hmm. Lenny Wilkins. Interesting. And here's why. I'm kind of cheating the system a little bit. He only played, I uh, believe, four years, um, uh, but, but he, he, he was, was the coach, coach yeah. for 11 seasons. And for of the four years that he played for the Seattle Supersonics, he was also the coach. He was a player coach, yeah. so I just find that fascinating. It's
1: like Bill Russell did that
0: as well. With yeah, it's just there's not a lot of people that can have that much impact on a game. And yes, I think he had a longer stint with
1: uh, another team. Well, he was a coach
0: for the Hawks for a long time too. That might have been what it was. I, but so he didn't start his career there. But he, I think, in those four years and then going on, he coached them in their 1979 championship right. team. So I'm kind of adding in his his coach mm-hmm.
1: uh, impact on the team, and that's why mm-hmm. I had him up there. Um, I mean, I think that's fair. I didn't even consider that um, I figured we would talk about Lenny just because he was the coach when they won it all. Um, but my honorable mentions are um, m- mainly kind of the more modern players. So like two role players from their teams in the 90s were are Deadlift shrimp who we already talked about, and Hersey Hawkins who I always remember, I, he's a guy I remember from that team because he was such a good shooter. But he's like a career 15 points per game in the NBA, played most of his career in Seattle. Um, he's like a 40% career three-point shooter. So just really good player, good defender as who well. Who was that? Hersey Hawkins. Hersey Hawkins. Um, and then two guys, more modern guys who we've already touched on, Ray Allen and Richard Lewis, both of whom were really good players for Seattle right before they left right before the Sonics left Seattle, and uh, Ray Allen was there just for a few years because he, he started his career in Milwaukee and then went to uh, the Celtics after Seattle. So he's just there for a few years but uh, had great years there, obviously was the best player on their team. And then Richard Lewis came out of high school and started his career in Seattle, took a few years to get going. And then most people may know him when he was with the Magic, and they went to the finals. You you probably do. Well, it's funny boy. he was only there a year, but that really in yeah, Orlando oh, I felt like he I was little bul-
0: longer. Uh, that's that's what I remember, and uh, but I absolutely remember it because that was the, you know that was my I think high school freshman year, um, and he was an incredible shooter. I think they picked him up, like I can't remember if he came over at the beginning of the season or if he came over midway through. Um, but he had a huge impact on that team. He was there four seasons. Four
1: years. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just remembering it wrong. But he did have a big impact. He did. He never. He never. He was 28 when he came to Orlando. So he was actually with Seattle for a really long time, um, and he was with Seattle from the time he was basically 18 when he came out of high school until he was 27. And then he was in Orlando for four years, which should have been like his prime, but his numbers went down every single year in Orlando. Yeah. His he was really good I think that first year, wasn't that the year they went they made the, the no jump? The, the year they year? went to the finals was his second
0: year. His but second he still year. he still averaged eighteen points a game. So he was a great shooter, but what I remember was that he was overhyped. I mean when when we brought him onto the team, he was supposed to be the superstar and he was a great
1: shooter, but he yeah. was more just like he a was good a, role player. But he was a good piece to be around Dwight Howard and the other oh, pieces yeah, absolutely. that they had because that was the year when they when
0: they actually went to the finals and then got destroyed. It was
1: a good it was a good pairing with Turkoglu and like Yeah, yeah, Turkoglu,
0: know. Redick, um him, Jameer Nelson, and essentially yeah. Dwight was down low, and they just did it in and out the whole time. And mm-hmm. when they shot – they had a couple games where they shot record three-point shooting percentages in the mm-hmm. playoffs, and that's how they were beating teams. So um, – so I absolutely think he's an honorable mention though because he spent so long mm-hmm. there, and I think that was those were his better years, were kind of the end of his supersonic years. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, oh yeah, no, his, yeah, he was averaging like almost twenty five points a game a couple of years in Seattle. So I've got two more honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. One, Gus Williams.
0: Um, yep. He played six years. Yeah, um, he was part of that earlier championship team. But, yeah,
1: I looked into him as
0: well. Um, good stats, and then uh, Nate McMillan also looked at him. He is franchise player. I think yeah. the, other than downtown Freddie Brown. Coached them for a while. Was the only franchise pr- player who really yeah. had a, a long career, but he was a part of those 90s teams. Yep. He actually had decent stats too. I mean, those that's, those teams were stacked. Um, you might not have scored See, a ton of points. I was going to say,
1: I looked at his stats, and I didn't think they were that impressive. But I think he had good assists. Mm.
0: And well, he was
1: the point guard. Well, no, I mean... Peyton was taking point. I think cover. he was, like, number two on assists on the team or something like
0: yeah. that. And and from the little of that, I guess, I, I research of those teams, what made those teams so good, and this transitions really well, was that they were deep. And so, Nate yeah. McMillan being the sixth or seventh option on that team, mm-hmm. he was still good. You know, yeah. he's not, um, you know. And, and so, the fact that he coached them later on,
1: and was there so long? I think he's, he's worth mentioning. I think the most impressive thing about McMillan is I look at his numbers because he never averaged more than seven points a game, right, and it wasn't his he, he did have a season where he he was actually their starting point guard before they got Gary Payton because okay. um, he was there in like the started in like the mid eighties, but he did have a season where he averaged nine assists a game, which is pretty good. But he averaged two steals a game for his career, and he had a season where he averaged three steals a game, which, which is, is Crazy, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, so he, I think he was a really good piece. Um, I yeah, I wouldn't Tennessee. have I wouldn't have put I obviously I didn't put him on my list. But um, it, when you think about a guy who is just like a, another kind of face of the franchise type of guy, I mean I think that's that's good good to think about him in that way. And uh, I think we
0: would be remiss if we did not mention KD <laughs> because uh, as much as he only spent one year there. He was the next face. I mean, yeah. they, they drafted him. It's Kevin Durant for people who... That's are, right. right. Uh, and this is kind of the story that I, I kind of am coming to understand. Seattle drafts him. They um, essentially think they've got maybe the best player in the world, and they're going to invest in him. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, and so what they do is they get rid of Ray Allen and Rashard mm-hmm. Lewis and yeah. bring in a younger team. And essentially they're saying, Kevin Durant, this is your team mm-hmm. as a rookie. And they didn't have a great record that year, but I think the plan was we're going to build into him. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Seattle lays claim to the finding of Kevin Durant, and they do not give that to Oklahoma City. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, I think that the – I don't know about finding him. I think everybody knew that he was really good, but like – and whoever yeah. had the second pick would have drafted him. But I do think that, you know, when you talk about the Thunder – just put it this way: the thunder had the Thunder been an expansion team instead of Seattle's franchise moving to Oklahoma City there's a big difference there, and I don't think the Thunder have any of the immediate success that they had had they been a just an expansion just a new team i think and so I think if you're i know I, I know a lot of people in Oklahoma City and they don't consider the Thunder to be Seattle. And I mean it makes sense. Like they're not going to retire Gary Payton's jersey or something like that. Um but I do think they need to like at least pay homage to the fact that they like they didn't draft Kevin Durant. They did, you know, all of these like the management group that's there now, like none of the, you they know, they didn't work in the trades that eventually got
0: them higher picks with, yeah. you know, some of the the next two rounds or next two years. So
1: it's definitely something to uh to Keep in mind for sure,
0: and when you search, if you go Google search the Seattle Supersonics, um, you're gonna see a ton of Kevin Durant in Supersonics, <laughs> so you gotta mention him. Mm-hmm. Um, great, well, let's talk about the best teams. Yeah. Um, this one is a little bit shorter list, yeah. And I've got right?
1: three, I've got three as well. So, like I said, the like we said before, I mean, Seattle has basically always been pretty good, so there's a lot of different teams we could probably talk about, but um. I felt like my number one team had to be the team that won the ring in '79. Um, got they won 52 games, um, and they actually went to the finals the year before as well and lost, I think, to Portland um, in '78. Because that was the Bill Walton Portland Trailblazers team, and I think that's who you're they. Right. I think that's you're right. Maybe who they lost to, but. Uh, they won fifty two games in seventy nine, won the finals. Um, and uh, yeah, just a just a really good team. And I feel like if you win the finals you need to be unless it's like from like the forties, you know, I feel like it that probably needs to be your number one team.
0: Yeah, and to, uh,
1: just to put it into perspective, based
0: on some of the players that we've mentioned, mm-hmm. they had downtown Freddie Brown, mm-hmm. Jack Sigma, Dennis Johnson, mm-hmm. like who yes is later known for his Boston years, but they had him and Gus Williams, who Gus was the leading scorer on their team. So you have an incredible team, coached by Lenny Wilkins. Yep. Um, Pretty awesome.
1: Yep. And then uh, my number two team, which might actually be the best team they've ever had but didn't win it, was 95-96. They won, won 64 games and lost in the finals to the Bulls team that won 72 games and set the record um, and it was a relatively competitive finals as well but that, that Sonics team was really dominant and, and honestly throughout the 90s they were super dominant I mean 93 they had 55 wins 94 they had 63 then they had 57, 64, 57, 61 I mean they went on a stretch there where uh, they won a lot of games um, now they only made the finals at one time And in fact, they had two straight seasons where in 94 and in 95, they lost in the first round of the playoffs, despite having... I mean, in in 94, they were actually the first NBA team ever as a number one seed to lose to a number eight seed. Now, to be fair, back then in the first round, it was only a five-game series instead of a seven-game series. So, And they lost in five games... To the Nuggets. That was the Dikembe Mutombo Mutombo Nuggets team. But I don't know why I have this image in my head. I've seen it on an NBA video or something like that about that series. But there's this, I have this image in my head of Dikembe Mutombo like laying on the ground, like holding his head like he can't believe they won. And I mean, it's true. I mean, again, it was like a 63 win Sonic team. They were incredible and they were expected by many to.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was that has to be one of the greater upsets in NBA history yeah. in terms of a playoff um, victory. Yeah. Let me play devil's advocate here oh because I think the 94 team uh, could be considered to be better than the 96 team. So on the one hand, they were the best team that year. So granted, they didn't win as many games, um, but they were not just the number one seed in the West, but
1: had the overall. best record overall. because context, that was the first year that Jordan, that was the first year of Michael Jordan's retirement. So that's the other thing as a Seattle fan when you see the 94 93 94 season, 94 95 season, you are the number you know you're like a, a top seed both years. Jordan's not playing. And you lose in the first round both years. Just really embarrassing. But. Yeah. And that team had six
0: players average over 10 points a game. And no players average over 20. Mm. And that's not including Nate McMillan, who mm. you know has an honorable mention. So yeah. that team is kind of Gary Payton and Sean Kemp coming on the scene as, uh, as... It's kind of like the culmination of them playing together, right? right. They were, they've been playing together since 91. So... Um, that team uh, really should not have lost to Denver. No, they went up the first two games. They lost, I think, uh, they made uh, Gary Payton was talking about how, I think he blamed Sean Kemp because in his excuses, he talked about shots that Sean Kemp missed and free throws Sean Kemp missed. But either way, um, you know, he was basically saying we had a chip on our shoulder and we just didn't take it seriously enough. Yeah, we, we let Game three slip from us. We should have won game four. We let that slip from us. And
1: then they went to Denver and they lost. It should have been in Seattle. Game five should have been in Seattle. It might have. Since um, they had the home court.
0: Unless they had done three already. I forget. You know, unless, yeah. you know I don't know. But either way, um, they lose that game five. They shouldn't have lost. I think two of those games were overtime that mm-hmm. they lost. So imagine if they go on past Denver, which you know they probably were looking past. Um, like that team might have been deeper and had a more
1: likely chance to win the NBA Finals. Yeah. I mean, the Rockets were really good. The Rockets won the NBA Finals in 94 and 95. Um, and so they would have had to get through Hakeem Olajuwon, the greatest big man to ever play basketball. Um, hot take. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, especially 93-94 being the number one seed, they uh, you would expect that they would have gone further than that. So. Yeah, I mean, three players averaged 10, 10 points,
0: over ten points a game that we haven't even mentioned, and mm. you know mainly because I, I don't think they were for played for the Sonics very long. Ricky Pierce, Kendall Gill, Sam Perkins, Sam Perkins, Sam Perkins did. Yeah, he was there a little while. Yeah. So coach, you know George Carl. Yeah. So I just think the the balance of that team, and and really you got to put the '94 '96 team together.
1: You Know as a team, yeah, know. it was most of the same players. I mean, that 96 team that was almost re- like a redemption run for them to make it to the finals finally. Um, and then unfortunately, they had to go against the uh, the unstoppables. That's right. So, uh, really, really fun kind of getting to know this
0: the team and the history mm-hmm. of this team, especially Gary Payton. Oh, yeah, I mean, what I could watch Gary Payton videos. Uh, for a long time. Just watch Gary Payton
1: trash-talking videos. Those are the best videos. Yeah.
0: So, um, I think, uh, I don't know if we've decided what team we're going to do next. Um, I don't, we haven't really talked about it. Yeah. But we can always cut this out, so. That's true. Well, if you're listening to this and you have (coughs) an idea of who we should cover next, let us know. Um, We're on Twitter at the NBA Fan Podcast. Mm. And, I think that's our main form of communication with the outside world.
1: Yeah. haven't done a lot of marketing yet. I think as we get more, you know, get a couple more episodes out, we'll uh, hopefully get Adam Silver in as a guest on one of our episodes. That would be Um, great. (laughs) Maybe J.J. Reddick. That might be easier than uh, (laughs) than Adam Silver. Silver. Eh, He might care a little bit more about PR than J.J. Reddick does. J- so. JJ Redick has his own, his own podcast, so he understands the power of, of podcasting. Yeah, so uh, that's my Duke reference for today. I finally found one. <laughs> if you haven't listened to JJ Redick's podcast, you should. It actually genuinely is one of the well, first of all, he's the only NBA player and one of the only professional athletes out there to have his own podcast, but it's genuinely a uh, really, really good podcast. He has lots of guests that have nothing to do with basketball.
0: Yeah, it's uh, great. Yeah, are there no Duke players that played for the Sonics? Mm,
1: not not that I can think of. I mean, none of significance apparently. Yeah. yeah. Well, if well they would have like if Duke players played for the Sonics, they would be significant obviously. So, Hey-o. Then there's none. There's obviously none that played for them, so. Awesome.
0: Well, maybe the future Sonics team 2020, mm-hmm. 2021 mm-hmm. uh, you know, Duke basketball is still relevant. They're still pretty good. Maybe. Uh, Maybe one day. Yeah. So
1: I'm sure that if there's a future Sonics team, there's an opportunity. All jokes aside, I hope there is a future for basketball. I mean, I can only assume that if if the NBA brings another team to Seattle, they'll call them the Supersonics. I can't imagine them calling them something else. But, yeah, I hope there is a, a future for professional basketball in Seattle.
0: Well, if there's anything the NBA Fan Podcast can do to be a part of that, I think we will do that. And uh, use our small platform. We'll talk to
1: Adam Silver about it when we have him when on the we show. interview him. That's yeah. right.
0: Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time.
1: See ya.